Hello and welcome to the first Drill to Detail episode of the new year and I'm your host Mark Whitman. So Drill to Detail is a podcast about the strategy and business of big data analytics and business intelligence where we try and talk about the why and the for, for what reason something new, new in our industry has come about and I'm joined each episode by a special guest who's either making the products or setting the agenda within our industry. And in this episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by somebody who certainly set the agenda in the business analytics industry last year, someone who's writing an industry knowledge I've admired for many years, Cindy Housen from Gartner. So, Cindy, welcome on the show, and maybe introduce yourself to the uh, listeners. Yes, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to finally connect. I, likewise, have been following your work for a number of years, and I have been in the BI space for 20 years originally as a user and customer at Dow Chemical, later as a consultant for Deloitte & Touche, and then my own business, BI Scorecard. Hopefully, some of you have read my books, Successful Business Intelligence, and joined Gartner two years ago. Excellent. Well, it's great to have you on, uh, Cindy. And um, really, what I wanted to talk about was something actually led on from a, a blog post I saw that you wrote a while ago, which was about, uh, you spoke to some CIOs at the recent Gartner US Symposium about what's on their minds with regards to kind of BI and analytics, what's the kind of key issues for them, really. Um, and there were kind of a couple of issues on that were raised there that I thought would be a good kind of talking point, really, with yourself. Um, the first one was about, um, I guess, kind of modern BI platforms. You know, what is a modern BI platform today? Um, what do what do sort of CIOs and, and companies do? I guess following on from the the, the magic quadrant from last year, and I guess really your thoughts on the industry and, and where things are going. Um, so I thought first of all, what would be good would be just to kind of get you to recap on what was the kind of main thoughts behind Gartner's modern BI platform we talked about last year, and and the way I suppose in which you see the market changing in that way. Yes. So the last year's magic quadrant was um, both exciting and painful, depending on which side you were on. But it was we really needed to reflect what had been shifting in the marketplace for a number of years. So first off, the magic quadrant is supposed to serve net new buyers. It's not supposed to just be a reporting of the market. It, it is to help buyers figure out who they should continue to invest in or who they should have on their radar. And there had been a multi-year shift from what we call Mode 1, traditional BI systems, which are largely report-centric, to Mode 2, more agile, business user-led, but IT-enabled, and more visual data discovery platforms. So if you look at the uh, 2015 Magic Quadrant, we had both traditional vendors in in there. So let's say we were comparing Crystal Reports and Microsoft Reporting Services with the likes of Tableau and Click. And in reality, Customers are not buying those mode one traditional BI platforms at the same pace that they're buying the modern. And we have data that actually came out after we published our magic quadrant that split the market share. So we see that the traditional BI space, the license revenues there is flat to declining depending on the vendor we're talking about. So people are maintaining those, but they're not doing much net new buying. In contrast, the modern BI platforms 
showed a 64% growth rate in constant currency in 2015. There is a bit of a slowdown in 2016, but um, we really wanted to make the magic quadrant best serve those prospective buyers. Yeah. Does that answer the question, yeah, Mark? It does, yeah. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's the important distinction there. I mean, what you're talking about is what's actually happening. And you know, that is where the spend is happening. People are going out there and they're buying the tableaus, the clicks, the, the, I suppose the SaaS apps and so on. And that reflects where the action is happening, really. But I think it also, it does reflect kind of where, I suppose, the innovation is happening. And, and certainly looking at the list of, of, of five areas that you talked about for the modern BI platform, um, that was certainly very kind of thought-provoking, really. And, and I think it would be interesting kind of to talk through with you some of those things and, and just get your take, really, on, 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 I suppose, in a way, where you thought that, where that came from and, I suppose, what's the impact and implication for, for, for listeners, really. And the first one, actually, in, in, there were five areas you talked about in the modern BI platform. And the first one was kind of da- about data sources and upfront modeling. And, and probably, the, the, probably the thing that had uh, the most impact really on, on people I know in the industry was this kind of feeling that it was talking about the, the no, need, no more need for data modeling or I suppose kind of data modeling should be in a way kind of optional and automatic. I mean, what was you thinking on that and what are you seeing in the market? Right. So let me clarify something, too. We're not saying that there's no need for data modeling there, and, and no need for IT or governance. There is absolutely a need for this, but there are smarter and more agile techniques available today. So if you think 10, 20 years ago, a centralized monolithic data warehouse was really best in class, the single version of the truth. But if you look at the number of new data sources we have, we didn't have sensor data before, or maybe not as much. All the um, external data sources, whether it's economic data, mobile activation, social data. So the need to be able to rapidly ingest and model as you go before you get to any kind of insight, that is really part of what makes up a BI platform. So if you have a data warehouse already made, and, that, and that's very useful for some data, it might be predictable internal transactional data, financial data, orders data, great, leverage that. We want the modern BI platform to leverage that. But if you have a new data source, as of yet an unknown value, variable quality, then you really want to make it easier for the user with the domain knowledge about that data to model in an agile way. So um, a little more agility, a little more ease of use, and we are starting to see even the software help with that, telling you where you have data quality issues, advising options of how maybe to mash or join data together. So we want data modeling. (laughs) We just want it um, more agile, easier, smarter. I think I think I agree. I agree. I think it's about knowing the right time and the right place, really, isn't it? I mean, certainly the very kind of uh, I suppose kind of um, strict way in which we used to bring in sort of data into into systems was was I suppose kind of a, a, feature, a function of the tools we used, but also uh, it was a function. I mean, we try, I suppose in a way we were being too perfect, really, and we were being too prescriptive about how things were done. And certainly, I think the optionality is interesting. I mean, you you mentioned about uh, sort of tools that help I suppose discover 
uh, data domains and so on. Um, have, have you seen anything interesting in the market there around that? When, what, what's your thoughts, I suppose, really on using, say, kind of machine learning to, to help with this? Yeah, so, and this is why some people say, oh, you're so boring. How can you work in the same space for 20 mm-hmm. years? And yet, as you know, there is constant innovation and and just still so much going on. So this is where there were a number of new vendors to the Magic Quadrant last year. I'll mention two, for example, Clear Story Data. So they are a cloud uh, platform. They leverage Spark and machine learning to profile the data and help you smartly prepare it but then also recommend other data sets to blend it and and mash it with. So they were new to the 2016 Magic Quadrant. Another vendor that was new to last year's Magic Quadrant, uh, Beyond Core, who Salesforce recently acquired. And what's interesting about Beyond Core is they also help you find the insights and patterns in your data that you didn't even know were there or you didn't know the questions to ask to interrogate. And we, we actually, as, as disruptive as the 2016 Magic Quadrant was for everyone, we really think this move to modern, we think there's another wave of disruption on the horizon, smart data discovery, that the likes of Beyond Core, IBM Watson Analytics, SAP has a solution, their cloud, their business objects cloud has capabilities in it. So we do think this smart data discovery is yet another wave of disruption on the horizon. Yeah, interesting. And, and a, lo- a lot of that innovation, I guess, is coming from outside the BI space. I mean, for example, you mentioned Beyond Core, I mean, that's a classic kind of BI tool, but there's Paxata, for example, um, and there's also, um, for example, what Amazon are doing with Amazon Glue. I mean, I don't know if you've sort of seen that and, and, and got a view on what they're trying to do with Glue and the kind of automatic disco- discovery of things they're trying to do there. So I haven't looked at Amazon Glue. We are, of course, tracking Amazon QuickSight and some of what we're seeing with the machine learning algorithms that they're making available. But this is where, for me, it's always what's, what's really a turnkey solution or what is a difference between an idea and a vision that the vendor has. So for sure, Amazon has a lot of capabilities and IP, I want to see it um, packaged in yes. a single product. Yes. So, so I mean, moving on from that point, you, you talked generally about IT being an enabler rather than a producer. And I think that was a, a very uh, a very good point, really. I mean, the idea that IT you know, isn't a blocker of things, but is, is there to kind of enable the business users and the business to get the most out of the data. I mean, what was you thinking around that, really? Yes, so this is, and actually um, we do have, of course, we have the Gartner Summits coming up in February and March in a number of cities, the U.S. and London, and I will be talking about uh, more about this concept of what should the roles be going forward. And I And this is something that CIOs at the symposiums were very worried about. Do they even have the right skills in their organizations. So I think in the past, it was fine for IT to be a little more reactive and let's say order takers, 
from the business. So building to a specific set of requirements. Now, we have advocated in BI and analytics for a number of years the benefits of agile development, collaborative development. But I think this has become even more so where IT now may just provision the data and the business is actually producing the dashboards and the visualizations. Now, for some content, if you have a very predictable, what we would call a mode one report, where uh, you require the governance, you have the predictability. So maybe this is a financial statement or a regulatory report. You still want IT to own that. If you have more an agile question like, you know, why did sales uh, decline this month? Or, hey, if I offer this coupon to my customers, will they respond? That's more the mode two discovery. So let, let the business produce that. If it gets widely shared, maybe you would pass it back to IT to say, help me make this more scalable, more performant, help me enforce the governance and security policies to prevent any problems or discrepancies. But it is a shift in roles, and this means that some of the skills that IT needs to work on are more the listening skills, the collaborative design, the facilitation, and the inquisitiveness. And that can be very uncomfortable for those IT people who really like to work in a much more structured, documented environment. Yeah, exactly. And we'll come we'll come on to that a bit more actually in a bit. There's quite a topic around that I'd like to talk through with you. But that that I mean that's interesting and, and also you talk I think you talked in in the various papers at the time about the ideal thing would be for vendors and products to be able to bridge this gap between mode one and mode two so that for example things that the users discover and things that become useful become part of the kind of formal curated data model and so on are you seeing that happening in the market are you seeing uh, vendors that are kind of doing that or, or is it still more of a, an idea Yes, this is where the devil is in the details, Mark, because this is what every customer would like. They would really like a single solution that provides both mode one and mode two. And I would say some vendors are further along in, in fulfilling that vision in a single product. So we do have uh, two resources. We have the Magic Quadrant, which scores vendors on capabilities, but also on um, their vision, their roadmap, customer support. We have a companion note, and this is, <laughs> this is uh, why I joined Gartner at this point in time. It's very much like the BI, what the BI scorecard used to be. We call it the critical capabilities, and it is a side-by-side -side scoring of the vendors on how they do on this. So, so we do score them on the mode one capabilities, which are things like uh, having a consistent semantic model, having uh, strong security governance, having the ability to distribute a report maybe as a scheduled PDF, for example. And then we also look at all the mode two capabilities. Can you create something in an agile way and promote it back to that systems of record reporting. So on this point, there's room for improvement. There are some vendors, I think, that do 
well in providing both those capabilities, but oftentimes it's across two separate product lines. And that is why we see a lot of augmentation, mixing and matching of vendors in the customer base. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so you also touched on um, analysis and insight delivery in, in that list of five um, sort of uh, features, I suppose. And, and there's obviously a big drive towards kind of data discovery and freeform analysis and collaborative storytelling, data storytelling, and so on. Is that something you see as being kind of like, I guess, I guess more popular, more, more being adopted? And, and what's the value? I guess what's the value in that type of analysis? And is it the only type of analysis really? It's. So it's not the only type of analysis, but it, it is a very important part of the analysis because when, when we're literally drowning in data, we have to use what we know from brain research and visual perception to speed the time to insight. A dense page of numbers is not easy to interpret. So using things like charts or geographic mapping, smart color coloring and smart coloring. So none of this should look like the pinball wizard um, <laughs> pinball game. It really is about using color and um, highlighting and even animation to reveal the patterns in data. And also, as we just published some predict notes, using things like natural language generation to then explain the chart to you in textual form. And there's some interesting analysis actually out of Sheffield University that shows that even students in data analytics really don't do well at interpreting graphs. So we want that narrative in addition. So all of that is, is part of what we say is sharing the findings and part of that data storytelling and there is uh, these these really will become standard features as um, part of a modern BI platform. Yeah, interesting. I mean, you mentioned natural language processing. I mean, do you see voice as being part of the future of this? I mean, yes, absolutely. Yes. So, and we've seen some interesting work from some vendors on their use of voice. So, SciSense, uh, for example, also on the Magic Quadrant, they have some interesting capabilities where Alexa will will uh, use voice. You can ask Alexa, show me my sales for this period. Am I positive or am I um, declining? And Alexa will answer you back. Of course, for Microsoft, we're seeing the integration with the Cortana digital assistant. So yes, voice uh, definitely part of this. Interesting. So so for for the, for the part of the audience who read your papers then, who who weren't kind of worried about uh, BI, when, when they saw, I think the, the classic data warehouse people that saw the paper that was the role of the data warehouse and semantic models, that, that was kind of interesting as well because it talked about you know no intervening semantic model required, data warehouse not a prerequisite. I think we kind of generally accept that, but there was also talk about self service data prep by business users. I mean, that again is an in an area that's been interesting. And we think Tableau, for example, have launched something recently with that in there. Most vendors do. What's your view on self-service data prep, in particularly in the context of BI tools? Yes. And, and again, just to reinforce, Mark, so when we say it's not required, we don't want it to be a prerequisite. If you have it, we want the modern BI platform vendor to leverage it. So 
So it's not dead. We're not saying it's dead. It doesn't go away by any means. But, um, yeah, so so self-service data preparation, it is about this rapid ingestion of new data sources or unmodeled data sets that might be coming from a data lake. And, I I mean, we have a market guide on self-service data prep vendors. There's at least 20 vendors in there. Some of them are coming from the BI and analytics front-end space. So this is where, yes, Tableau announced Project Maestro. And in the Tableau space, of course, this is where we see other partners like Alteryx, Paxata, Trifacta being used in conjunction with Tableau. IBM, for example, also signed a partnership with DataWatch to help with self-service data prep for both the Cognos customers as well as the Watson Analytics customers. So we see movement from the BI and analytic platform vendors, but also the traditional ETL vendors like Informatica has their self-service data prep tool as well. And then, of course, in the data science space, there's solutions there as well. So um, I think all of this reflects the need for the people that know the data, know the domain, to be able to model it, not just have it in the hands of a few of those ETL developers. So again, ETL doesn't go away. There was a really good case study, um, a customer I was speaking to, where where they actually use these self-service data prep tools, and it feeds back into the requirements for the industrial strength ETL process. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so there was a there was a blog post I think someone from Datamere wrote recently. I think it mentioned you, um, and, and it was talking. I think it was uh, it was talking about uh, data governance and and basically talking about the fact that data governance is an area that I think big data has got away with a bit in the past. I mean, again, data governance and, and that whole organisation around that is that an area that you think is 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 still in focus? Have you seen some innovation in that space? I and mean, what's your thoughts on data governance? Well, it's definitely in focus because there is fear that in the self-service world that things will just degenerate into chaos. And we don't want that. We don't want that. We want empowerment and agility, but without the chaos. And a webinar that my colleague Rita and I did last year, we did a poll on this and asked customers where they were on their journey. And fortunately, I think it, it was a small percentage, but... Uh, like 10% feel like they're, they are already in the chaos world. Um, so, you know, we'd rather none, but, but everyone is very worried about this. So it, it is something that you need to keep in mind. But I, I think as an industry, we all need to remember that it has always been for the business to decide what is the acceptable level of risk what data needs to be tightly governed, what data it, can we be a little more lax about, and it's, it's really IT's role to enforce those policies. I think in the past it was almost, well, IT both um, enforced the policy by the sake of the, the technology being so difficult to use and remaining in the hands of a few. So almost that governance was built into it by sake of technology. Now we have to step back and say, okay, where do we build the governance into the process and when do we just let users have free reign? 
So, 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 what's your view on on BICCs at the moment? I mean, I think I think you can probably find you can probably find a statement from Gartner everywhere saying something is dead. But certainly, BICCs yeah. are they still are they still valuable? Are they still being used? What's your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Well, so this was my colleague Frank Boyendike, who in the keynote said uh, he hated everything about the BICC. First, it has C for centralized, which he which he didn't like. So they're not dead. And I do want to say, call it what you want. Some organizations still call it DSS, uh, decision support, which we might say is a little bit of a dated term. We do use the term analytic center of excellence increasingly, really to signal the shift that we don't want it only centralized. So you do want some centralized experts for economies of scale, um, for the commonality, let's say, and perhaps for the mode one requirements. Where you want some decentralization is where you want that deep domain expertise, so for a particular business unit or functional area. But the important thing is, is that it's not in silos as maybe it was done in the early 90s. It really is done in coordination with the centralized team. So the centralized team, the analytic center of excellence, becomes the facilitator, the evangelist, the connector, and identifying the commonalities. So um, they enable the decentralized teams and all of this, the goal is to get to those higher levels of maturity where we're not just doing reporting, we're really doing that diagnostic and predictive analytics as well. Okay, okay. So the last thing I want to talk to you about, just, just last topic really, is you talked about, I think you've often talked about how to select a BI tool. And I think certainly in a blog you wrote, wrote recently, you talked about the process someone to, to think through when you're selecting a BI tool and a BI kind of uh, platform really. Um, and, and you talked about, for example, you know, stop trying to focus on a single vendor and so on. What would, just outline what your thoughts were there on that, and, and what are the golden rules you have, Cindy, on making BI tool selections? So I think, again, depending on where you come from, I think there was a view, can we just have a single vendor do everything, and that would lower our cost of ownership and simplify the integration. And I, I think that's a good vision, but the reality is, is that most organizations do have mixed portfolios and best capabilities are often spread across multiple vendors. So uh, I don't want companies to be afraid of mixing and matching. What you want to look for is to minimize the redundant, the overlap. So you don't want two tools that really do the same thing and there's no clear use case for when to use one or the other. So minimize the overlap, maximize when they provide business value. That should be ultimately uh, the, the, the way you measure if you bring a vendor into your portfolio is that they will help you achieve more value ideally <laughs> at the lowest cost of ownership, but uh, sometimes that's difficult. Um, and then in terms uh, of a process, we do have a selection process. A lot of it starts with what really the market has changed to free trials and land and expand. Try it on a small proof of concept, understand the value, 
prove out the value and then may go back and reevaluate and say, okay, who, who are we going to use to provide these capabilities? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, again, just I think something else you just mentioned at some point is make sure you've got a business goal and a, and a kind of way of measuring that as well. Because so many projects we see, so many initiatives don't actually have a kind of a, a point to it, really, and no kind of particular goal or objective. I mean, do you think that do you, do you agree with that, really? Absolutely. We, in fact, we did a study last year that unfortunately, 85% of organizations do not measure or have clear measures of their business outcomes from BI and analytics. So it's not to say that they're not achieving them. They're just not documenting and tying them into those hard business benefits. So we, we think that's, that's really important both for the buy-in, but also to ensure ongoing engagement. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, well, look, I'm conscious of your time, uh, Cindy. So, um, just obviously, um, busy time coming out for you now. You've got the kind of next magic project coming out and so on. I mean, roughly, when, when should we expect that? Is it going to be the next couple of weeks, few weeks, or what's your timetable, yes. guess, now? Well, on our calendar, uh, <laughs> on our public-facing calendar, we always aim for February. Some things may happen to derail that, but that is the plan that I hope will happen. Okay. Excellent, excellent. Well, hopefully it'll be as big a bombshell this year as it was last year. I mean, certainly <laughs> it was it was it was interesting. I mean, certainly in, in my part of the industry, it was certainly uh, so you got us talking. But you know, with all these things, you know, there's always a, there's always an element of truth in these. And I think that reflecting where money's being spent, where the interest is, is is fantastic. And also any kind of any signs that the business are taking a BI seriously, getting involved in it is all good, really. So as we said, you know, IT should be an enabler. It's great there's interest out there, and let's make sure work as a team and and you know. And, and so on really I mean it's very very interesting sort of uh, you know article you wrote and paper and so on really thank you and Mark thank you for all you have done and continue to do for the BI and analytics community yeah thank you thank you well Cindy thank you very much and uh, take care and hopefully speak soon thanks bye okay thanks